I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. There were some seismic changes in the cryptocurrency world last week, and it wasn't just the halvening of Bitcoin. That date every four years where the supply of new Bitcoin is cut in half. Arguably just as important was the launch of an Ether-based futures contract by ErisX, a US-based cryptocurrency exchange. You see, up to now, no exchange had designed a regulatorily compliant system in America, where you find some of the most liquid derivatives markets, allowing people to trade contracts, obligating parties to purchase and deliver Ether to one another at a designated point in time in the future. But ErisX pulled it off and is enabling people to not only buy either on the spot or in spot markets, but to also hedge against fluctuations in the price of Ether, one of the world's most popular and commonly held cryptocurrencies. So I wanted to know more about ErisX and what the company is up to. So I asked their CEO, Tom Chippis, to join the show. I've had the opportunity to talk to Tom on a number of occasions sitting on the CFTC's Virtual Currency Subcommittee, a think tank of sorts for the agency. And I thought it would be a treat for Fintech Beat listeners to hear from the source about what the introduction of this brand new derivative means for the maturation of the industry here in the United States. It's rather extraordinary, so your bus is commentary, a literary genius, and a superior big creator have come together. Tom, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Chris. I'm super excited. I never knew I was part of a think tank, so I have to completely rethink my persona. (laughs) Well, I can only hope that that definition will prove to be as robust and understandable as your new product here that you're launching. Uh, And in that vein, let's start with definitions. I was Uh, like to begin with the basics when talking about crypto derivatives. So maybe you can afford our listeners with a quick and dirty overview of what is a futures contract. Sure. A futures contract, it's an agreement. Uh, It's an agreement to buy or sell um, a commodity, uh, sometimes a security, but let's just say a commodity um, at a predetermined price at a specified time in the future. Uh, the, the contents of those contracts are standardized um, so that you know what you're getting. And in our case, it's the quantity of Ether. It could also be for our Bitcoin contract, the quantity of Bitcoin. To talk about it in a physical sense, it would be the quantity and quality of something like oil uh, or jet fuel uh, or other sorts of physical commodities. So it's a legal agreement to buy or sell a commodity at a predetermined price at a specified point in time. And the buyer of that contract is taking on the obligation at the end of that contract to to receive, to buy and receive that underlying commodity. Um, And the seller is taking on the obligation to deliver it. And this construct for futures has been utilized to allow farmers, to allow producers of energy, and a whole slew of other commodities uh, to hedge their risk and lock in uh, revenue uh, from their production. And where then does ERSX fit in with these contracts? These futures contracts have been around for a really long time. 
they're utilized every day, billions of dollars of value exchange hands every day in the futures world. We've just taken that very well understood concept, well understood both from a financial perspective, well understood from a regulatory perspective. And in creating ARSX, we have a CFTC regulated futures exchange and the CFTC regulated clearinghouse. And we've designed these futures contracts and listed them in that regulated framework. So they look really familiar to people who know futures, Chris. Um, and they really operate in very much the same way. The blockchain is simply where these assets live, uh, no different than oil lives in a storage tank, uh, gold lives in a vault, uh, grain lives in a grain elevator, etc. I want to be clear here. You use the example of grain and oil, highlighting instances where, say, producers may be concerned uh, with overproduction of, say, wheat or, or livestock um, or even oil, and purchasers may be concerned with drought or, or flooding, um, political instability, or, or really anything that could drive up the price of something that they may need in the future. So everybody's trying to hedge their risks by locking in prices. So how does this kind of logic map onto something like a cryptocurrency and in particular Ether? Yeah, well, so with the contract we just released this past week uh, for Ether, um, what we envisioned is that um, on the Ethereum network, uh, where a whole variety of products and services operate uh, via the uh, smart contract mechanism, which I'm sure we could talk about a little bit more, but uh, these products and services to operate um, require Ether. Uh, to execute the smart contract functions on the blockchain. So if I run a, uh, a, a service uh, and I'm providing that service via the Ethereum network, in order for me to deliver that service to my customers, I need to have Ether in order to pay for the processing executed by the smart contract. And no different than a business in the physical world where if I'm running an airline and I know what my schedule of flights are going to be, and that might change due to, say, seasonality, let's say, the tourist season or the holiday season, what have you, and I want to know that I will, one, have enough jet fuel, and two, what its cost will be at that point in the future. Well, very similarly, you can apply that to the operator of a service on the Ethereum network who would say, I have a good idea of how much ether I will need at this point in time in the future. And I'd like to acquire more of it now or the right in the case of future contract to get it when I need it later. And I want to do it at this price so I can lock it in now, know both my costs and that I will have it when I need it. So it's a very similar risk management, financial management function uh, for ether as we've seen in other uh, uh, energy and hard commodities as well. Do these similarities have then the same resonance beyond ether? A little bit different than the motivation behind our Bitcoin future, uh, which really you know, that that could apply more in a producer sense. Uh, so no different than a, a producer of uh, a hard commodity um, is going to have to um, invest in people and equipment and other things in order to extract or process or refine that commodity. If you're, say, a Bitcoin miner, uh, and you know that you are expecting a certain amount of block rewards. You made mention about the happening a little earlier. Uh, you may want to enter into a contract whereby you would deliver the coins that you would mine at that point in the future and get those, uh, uh, lock in the price and the value for that now 
so that you can appropriately plan your your PPE, your investment um, in producing those Bitcoin. So slightly different use cases, Ether versus Bitcoin, but both very, very similar to um, derivatives contracts today that exist for, as you said, agricultural and energy and other commodities as well. That really is useful and, and helpful and serves as a springboard for delving a bit deeper into the contract itself. Um, you'd already listed a Bitcoin's future before starting the journey with Ether, but given the different use cases and varying technological infrastructure supporting Bitcoin versus uh, Ether, were there any different kinds of considerations you guys had to take into account when designing the contract? Yeah, I, I think that having already listed the Bitcoin contract, we uh, physically delivered on my dad. So it's really important to emphasize that point when we talk about this, that we have a physically delivered contract, which is in contrast to a cash settled uh, contract. But with respect to getting approval for the Ether contract, there was a lot we could borrow from, from what we had done previously with the Bitcoin contract. But to the point you made earlier, Chris, where you know, the Ethereum blockchain um, is where these uh, the, the, the uh, Ether lives, uh, it's a different blockchain network than Bitcoin. Uh, and there are some nuances that probably would be its own show uh, that go into determining uh, the ownership of that ether, where where it's moved from into when transactions settle. And there was a bit of time we had to spend uh, going through and explaining um, our interpretation of those mechanisms, um, how we would uh, interact with that public blockchain in order to affect settlement of those transactions uh, when the uh, physical ether is moving into our clearinghouse or going out of our clearinghouse. Um, and that's really one of the benefits of our model in that once we have the uh, ether in the clearinghouse, then it's in the control of the clearinghouse and we remove the settlement risk from the other counterparties in the transaction because the clearinghouse acts as the buyer to the seller and the seller to the buyer. So it's a bit of a different construct and simply transacting at all times on the public blockchain. We're, we're really not transacting on the public blockchain when the futures themselves are trading on our clearinghouse. Uh, but once a, a market participant has gone to delivery and that Ether is within their clearinghouse account, they, of course, can then move it out of our clearinghouse back onto uh, you know, a future destination. And that takes place uh, via the public blockchain. So a bit of education. So just Taking a step back here, what you seem to be talking about is this larger issue of the ecosystem in which the contract trades. Um, uh, ERISX is running uh, both an exchange where these contracts are being traded and a clearinghouse. And the clearinghouse's job is to ensure the execution or performance of the contract. Right? It's, it's situated between one party promising to deliver Ether and another party promising to buy it, and it stands ready to perform either party's obligation um, if the need arises and novates their contracts when doing so. Now, all of this too has to take into account some of the operational differences uh, between the Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchains. So let's delve even deeper into the weeds here. Uh, FinTech 
Beat listeners have never shied from complexity. Uh, you had mentioned physical delivery. What does that obligation mean for the contract and then, by extension, the clearinghouse? Sure. So you know, the, the entities we're talking about here are you know, Eris Exchange, which is where the buyers and sellers uh, meet, and then Eris Clearing. And together, they're ErisX, but they are two separate entities. And that's no different than what you'd see in any um, U.S. regulated uh, derivatives construct today, whether it's um, CME or ICE, or there are other exchanges that don't have their own clearinghouse that then clear through a separate clearinghouse. We have both the exchange and the clearinghouse. So this construct is, is well-worn, well-understood, and it is all about um, ensuring uh, the safety and soundness of these transactions from the sense that the clearinghouse stands behind the, the collateral associated with these, with these trades. So with respect to how it's being done, um, the construct is very familiar, uh, but what the clearinghouse is, is doing is holding these, uh, the cash and the collateral, the underlying crypto, in this case, Ether, within the clearinghouse. Um, we hold those um, in segregated accounts, and I won't get into the, the naming and nomenclature of all that, but it, it's, there's a specific uh, set of accounts you have to maintain within the clearinghouse that um, shows these assets belong to the members of the clearinghouse. They're not the property of, of the clearinghouse, so that's how you maintain good control and, and, and risk management. Um, but we have those in the clearing accounts. So as the trading is taking place on the exchange, we're validating that each counterpart has what they need in order to successfully uh, deliver on that trade, whether it's the cash from the buyer or the crypto from the seller. So when you talk about physical settlement, when the transaction is complete and the contract has gone to uh, expiration, then the buyer of that contract is going to receive the crypto, in this case Ether, into their account at the clearinghouse. And once they've done that, they can, of course, uh, utilize that Ether for another trade in the futures market. They could move that Ether to their spot account on our platform and enter into a spot commodity transaction. Or, of course, they could send that Ether out. And we have you know, you know, a very robust set of policies and controls to ensure the security and integrity of those movements, that they only go where they should go, and that uh, the customers have the ability to approve, and all these other sorts of things that you would expect. But the point would be that when you settle that futures transaction at expiry, you then, as a buyer, have that ether in your account. So in my example of someone who operates a business uh, that runs on the Ethereum network and needs Ether in order to, to pay the gas fees for the uh, processing of their smart contracts, then they'd be able to uh, buy a futures contract for, say, 60 days out, and they would take delivery of that, and then they would move that out of their account at the clearinghouse into uh, whatever location they use to store their, I'll call it for conversational purposes, their operating Ether. Ether they would then use to process transactions in the delivery of their service. So no different than, you know, if I am, uh, you know, a slaughterhouse taking uh, delivery of heads of cattle at some point, you got to go to the cattle yard and pick them up. Uh, and in this case, you're picking up the ether from the clearinghouse and then putting it into the productive use in your uh, smart contract processing. 
So are all of these products, the Bitcoin futures, the uh, new Ether futures, trading on the same platform? Um, and if so, does that create any novel uh, technical difficulties? No, I, I wouldn't describe any of them as difficulties. It's important to have an understanding of how the underlying blockchain operates so that you can appropriately design your mechanism for moving uh, the Ether, in this case, on and off that blockchain into and out of the clearinghouse. And in that regard, you know, we did spend a bit of time uh, with the regulator um, going, going through their questions, going through our views. And, you know, uh, this is um, the first of its kind in the U.S. No, no one's listed a physically delivered Ether future in the U.S. So we went into it with the expectation that there would be a need to work through questions, work through considerations, uh, and what have you. So um, from my perspective, you know, we did our up front and uh, you know, took the regulator through what we uh, determined. You know, I, I think a lot of people would be curious to know uh, what that regulatory and approval process was like. ERSX had already listed Bitcoin futures. How did the Ether futures listing process compare? Was it more onerous or because you had already been through the Bitcoin experience, did you get the sense that regulators were largely uh, versed on the issues and what you wanted to do? I wouldn't describe the process for either one as onerous. That I don't think that would be fair. We, we, I do try and remind our team at RSX that a lot of the things we're doing, we're doing for the first time. And it's not unreasonable to be asked questions and uh, sometimes ask them more than once and to produce information and clarification because uh, it is the first time. And if we want the benefit of operating this type of business in the U.S. with regulation that provides you know, a foundational element of, of safety and understanding of obligations and responsibilities that just doesn't exist with platforms that are either unregulated or those that seek the lightest touch regulation, then we need to go through and do all that journeyman's work. And I think that Having already listed a Bitcoin physically delivered futures contract, the construct and concept is already there. We were then getting into uh, a bit more of the specific things related to Ether, such as you know, the blockchain operates a little bit differently. So the settlement uh, point that we've been discussing, um, and certainly you know looking at where the spot commodity trades and how we monitor the spot market uh, and and monitor that with respect to the futures market, which running both a spot commodities market as well as a CFTC-regulated CFTC futures exchange, um, we're uniquely positioned to monitor both and ensure that we have an orderly process going into contract expiry. So what kind of interest are you expecting to see with this new launch? Are you expecting it to be more institutional or retail-based? Well, that remains to be seen in terms of where it comes from. I think that um, you know, we've, we've launched it and we didn't engage in a large amount of marketing or hype around it. Uh, we, we did the work and got it done and launched it. And now we're working through with the various market participants to get them on boarded onto our platform if they aren't there already. And for those that are, to get them up to speed on the contract. So I think that we will likely see a initial bit of the trading coming from those that either have, as I mentioned earlier, um, some sort of dependence on Ether for the processing of, uh, 
of transactions or delivery of service across the Ethereum network, as well as some of the larger speculators who may want to manage their own uh, inventory of Ether. Um, but our goal always is to create a market that has a healthy balance of uh, producers, speculators, hedgers, consumers, as you would expect to see in any healthy commodity market. But early on, there'll probably be a, a bit more of uh, people that are either current holders and or speculators and professional traders who maybe are balancing the risk of their spot trading in one market with futures in our market. But over time, we hope to uh, grow the market to achieve that balance of all the different types of participants because more participants of a different type tend to have a different reason to trade. They tend to have different risk tolerance, tend to trade over a different time horizon, but all this lends itself to a deeper, more robust market. But again, it's early days. So there's a lot of work to do on our part now that we're out of the gate to start to uh, grow that interest. What do you think will be the legacy of your successful launch year? For not an insignificant number of people, there was a sense that after Bitcoin futures launched, there may not be another. So do, do you think that you're opening the door to many more non-Bitcoin digital asset derivatives here in the United States? Well, today on our spot commodity market, we have Bitcoin, Ether, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. We stick to things that are commodities. Um, we're not engaged in anything right now that uh, looks like uh, a security. That's, that's not what we are. We're a spot commodity exchange and a CFC regulated futures exchange and clearinghouse. So we're definitely firmly in the commodities world today. Um, we are always looking at uh, other digital assets that, that we could list, but we, we really come from that commodities framework first. Um, down the road, might that change? You know, sky's the limit, of course, for possibility, uh, but we're not, not focused right now on trying to become uh, a securities exchange as well. And I think a lot of the tokens that you may be thinking about um, are of an unknown type right now, uh, maybe it'd be a, a way and polite company to put it. Even when you stick with digital assets that are commodities and more like gold and silver than, than stocks and bonds, do you think that launches like this will streamline the onboarding uh, of new products in the future? Or do you get a sense that digital assets are just so heterogeneous? I mean, Bitcoin and Ether are, are in many ways entirely different ballgames. Um, that onboarding and listing processes will, by their very nature, have to be ad hoc, bespoke, and requiring enormous resources to navigate. Well, I think that specific to the commodity space for a moment, it actually is a little bit easier. And by that, I mean, if you look at products that existed well before cryptocurrencies uh, came into the fore, um, whether it was gold or jet fuel or grain, um, those are all different commodities and they all have different production processes delivery processes and settlement processes, yet the futures contract construct and clearinghouse construct serve all those equally well. So I think that U.S. derivative markets are uniquely positioned to address differentiation in the underlying digital commodities using this well-worn framework in order for us to uh, deliver that because that framework has proven itself flexible and adept across different commodity types for, for decades. I think that with respect to innovation in the space, you know, we're focused currently on physically delivered 
contracts. Um, there are some exchanges that list cash settled contracts, um, but there are, I think, a variety of places where innovation could take place um, in and around physical as well as cash products over time, whether that is uh, additional futures contracts on other commodities, whether that is cash settled products, perhaps on indices of crypto commodities uh, or other such innovations. There's lots of room uh, to do things both um, well-worn and understood, but applying them to, to cryptocurrencies. And there are things that haven't been done yet that could be applied as well. We certainly have more things in our product pipeline, and I'll be happy to talk more about those when they come out. But we think there's lots of room to innovate here. But we love the U.S. derivatives framework because there's a lot of room to innovate within it. We don't need to, to start over or recreate the wheel. And that's been a very consistent message, uh, at least from us, Chris, in that there are rules. And those rules are written down and they're known. And they can be difficult sometimes to implement. Uh, but if you put your head down and your back into it and do the work, um, you can get to where you want to be. And I'd like to think that that's an observation of, of our firm. And I think that of late, I've noticed less uh, whinging about the rules and more work being done generally. I think you wind back a year ago, there's a lot of energy being expounded on uh, whinging about rules. And I think now people are seeing you just have to do the work because once it's done, there's a lot of room to innovate. And that's what gets us excited over here at Arisex. Tom. Thanks so much for making it onto the show. This this was really great and uh, a real treat for our audience. Thanks for having me. Derivatives are tricky and crypto derivatives even trickier. But what Tom's comments brought to light was that whatever the complexity of the market, ultimately sustainable innovations will be those that have real economic applications. And usually this means that with a little effort, they can be explained clearly to both customers and regulators. And I think that's an especially important insight in times at which old rules are being applied to new industries and products like Ether, and a reminder that even in times of change, there's no substitute for hard work and diligence. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.